Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at the Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright. And finally, y'all, Soundgarden. (laughs) Oh, we have been waiting for their sweet, sweet pipes to come tickle our ears. Oh, Soundgarden. I I haven't been introduced yet, but I have a Soundgarden story, actually. Oh, Oh, (laughs) fantastic. Well, I cannot wait to hear. Uh, Today we're talking about Minute 136, which begins with Joss Whedon's name on Iron Man's chest and ends with the opening riffs on Soundgarden's Live to Rise with a little something special in between. And you heard him, everybody. That is right, Eric Deutsch, back one last time this season for his final foray into the Avengers with us. Eric, hello. Hi, I am glad to be here at the very, very end. Yes, Uh, and what a minute to talk about with you. It's going to be a fun one. Yes. Uh, Before we get into the meat of our minute, we're wrapping up our, uh, as Andrew Dorowski's kids uh, termed them, the special credits. And we're seeing our final one at the very start of this minute. It is the, uh, it is... As I said, uh, it's Iron Man's chest. We're looking at the the Archeractor right in the center. We come up, and of course, the director's name is right there. Pete, I kind of now want a shirt that has that image on it, but that says a Tignataro film. I feel like <laughs> I after going with that joke for this whole season, I feel like I need that shirt. We, the- you're right. We absolutely <laughs> need that shirt, even if it's just we we only have about 15 minutes to order it before the <laughs> the right, takedown notices the come in. Police. Yeah, they are brutal. They are brutal. That is a fantastic idea. I wonder. I wonder if the uh, mechanics underneath the the true story offices can actually make that happen. It would be funny if it's actually the Tignataro police who pull it down, <laughs> not the Disney police. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, the special credits, Eric. Uh, I mean, you know, the, each of the films have kind of had their own little thing. This has been a lot of close-ups of different heroes, and, and here, of course, we're coming in at the very end with. Iron Man's uh, the, the chest and the arc reactor and everything. I mean, do you like the idea of having a kind of some artsy credits at the beginning that leads to the kind of the mid credit scene and then the end credits? Yeah, sure. Because I mean, that's Marvel's thing, right? Is they kind of follow sort of similar to the old uh, to the Star Wars credits. They do like the big names um, coming up uh, at the beginning of the credits before then you get to all the the long list of credits that take seven years to get through. So you may <laughs> as well do something interesting with it, you know. It's probably about how long it's going to take us to get through them. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> real glass half empty night. That's is a real glass half empty night. <laughs> uh, a Joss Whedon film. Uh, we've been, of course, as I've just been saying, calling him Tignataro through the whole season. But Eric, I mean, I, I don't know if we've talked a whole lot about uh, kind of uh, Joss Whedon as a director, um, as far as somebody that you like. I mean, do you like a lot of the work that he's put together? Uh, you know, what's your stance on him these days? You know, I I was never I've only seen like a few episodes here and there of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, so you know, I mean, I didn't dislike the show. I didn't like the show. Just on occasion, I'd watch it. So I, you know, I, I'm not. I know that's you know where a lot of his fans come from. I've never seen a single episode of Firefly or Dollhouse. So um, I don't you know know him from any of that stuff. Um, really, the two Avengers movies and the fact that he kind of sort of had a hand in creating Agents of Shield are the only things that. I really know him from, and then I mean, I, I mean, obviously the, the Justice League travesty. Um, so, I mean, as has been discussed on previous episodes, um, 
I joined Pete in my love of Agents of Shields in battling the, you know, Andy uh, uh, incorrect opinion it's on that It's like show. an industrial complex he's running yeah, over there. Yeah, I know, I know. Lobbying uh, efforts. <laughs> oh my and, you know, I mean, I obviously I love Avengers and Age of Ultron, uh, and I don't love Justice League. Uh, so, I mean, what I, you know, know of him, I certainly have enjoyed. As a director, I think um, it, an interesting career that really didn't take off until really the TV work, like, I mean, with Firefly and Buffy uh, doing some of that, um, that's kind of where he uh, got his start. And then, of course, Serenity, I mean, coming straight from Firefly. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if Firefly, if he really got the chance to do uh I probably knew this back in 2005 when Serenity came out, but if the only reason he really was able to direct Serenity was because, was because Firefly got canceled. That's actually interesting. I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. Uh, but but really then, I mean, it's it's just directing a lot of TV until the Avengers. And so it's interesting. Is it the TV work or something like Serenity, which also is kind of team-based? You know, you certainly have all of the crew of the Firefly that kind of convinced the studio that, you know, this is a person that might be able to do something with this. Well, and don't forget, his TV stuff was all team-based, right? Like, they they have 111 episodes of Angel and 27 of Dollhouse and 145 of Buffy, and it's all the same kind of team chemistry. Yeah, I guess I just think of, like, TV team. Like, I, I don't know, I guess there's something there that it seems like it might be, because you're able to expand it over, I, I don't know, I'm assuming that was a regular series, so like 23 episodes in a season, it gives you a lot of time to space out those stories, as opposed to in a film when you just have those two hours. You know, I don't think they were looking at something like Alien Resurrection, which he co-wrote. I don't think they were looking at Alien Resurrection. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's a fair, a fair assessment, Andy. Cinema uh, gold right there. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think, you know, remember that the TV stuff that he did was all Monster of the Week stuff. Sure, there were big kind of mega arcs, but most of the episodes were how do these, how does the Scooby gang actually solve a problem of an evildoer? And so it resolves in 42 minutes. And so I, I just think it's not like I, I don't want to dismiss that because his his catalog, to my eye, is largely exists because of those properties. And um, and, you know, to, to your point, possibly uh, Serenity exists because of Firefly. It's hero heroic team solves problem. And, um, you know, the fact that we and that he ends up moving largely to to movies is, I think, a direct gift of that experience. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, I mean, from there, he goes straight to Cabin in the Woods, which is a, a fantastic film, right, that he put together, he wrote, as and, and it largely riffs on the same structural things that are going on in every one of his, his TV things. Yeah, in the scope of the style of writing, again, I haven't seen uh, more than maybe an episode of Buffy um, and uh, none of Angel none of Dollhouse, but certainly plenty of, of Firefly and Serenity, just getting the sense of like the way that he crafts the stories. And, and Cabin in the Woods, yeah, I, I can see that this is a writer who crafts big stories. It's not, yeah, uh, which, which is interesting, because of course then he does much to do about nothing, but still largely fairly big stories. So it's pretty interesting. Well, and what's the other thing that's interesting to me about, just if I may continue to wax poetic about Tignataro, is that he, all of his his original material is 
deep into lore, right? You can tell, like, there's so much world building that goes on in his head when he is writing these things like Buffy and Dollhouse. Like, they, there is such a universe that we never get to see, which is why it was so easy in something like Buffy to go, once the show was off the air, to continue the story in motion comics and, and fiction. Um, and, and I think that actually positioned him well for the Avengers because, again, he's walking into somebody else's lore, but it's lore all the same. Like, this is a person who understands how to unlock lore in a big operatic cinematic way. And and I, I think that's why they probably gave him a shot on this, even though this is the biggest thing that that he had done to date. Uh, but I, my hunch is that's probably why that happened. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot to uh, what he was able to pull together to make this happen. So, yeah, despite all of the issues that uh, that we have with him and the issues that he will now probably perpetually be have around his neck in trying to find any other work. It, uh, you know, I think that there is a lot of uh, talent behind the man. Yeah, I wish he would just realize that it's behind, it's on his neck because he keeps tying it there. <laughs> it just when it finally comes off. Right. I'm going to put this thing back on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the the real part of this minute. We go from the arc reactor, which kind of blindingly flashes in our faces, which transitions then to a moon or a planet. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, a round space object of some sort. And we pan through space, and of course, we are now back in our favorite little middle-of-nowhere sanctuary. And, you know, we have this interesting little mid-credits scene. Again, sanctuary, I don't, like, why is anybody hanging out here? I have no, no idea. <laughs> there's a, it, look, look, there's a perfectly serviceable moon, clearly, right there. <laughs> they could stand on the moon as long as they could. Why do they live on rocks? Uh, and I just want to say before you continue, that transition to the moon is one of my favorite things of the movie. The fact that it's just like a luminance resolve into moon is awesome i love it not only that but whoever built the staircase that leads up to the rock where he's sitting first of all i don't know where that staircase is leading from it's it's got a unnecessary 180 degree spiral to it for some reason when you're in you're floating in space you can i mean you can build a straight line you don't have to have a curve to like you know make your way around a, a mountain or a rock or something like that so i'm not sure what that's about and the stairs are all free floating they're not yeah. connecting. They're just, they're not attached to anything. They're just kind of there. Is this, uh, and, and we had seen the bottom of the staircase back when Loki was talking to the other. That's where they had their conversation, mm -hmm. uh, not up here in the little, we'll call it the throne room, because <laughs> why not? But but still, yeah, like we're the stairs, it's like, what, uh, like, it's this weird, it's almost like a vertebra of some ancient beast or something that they just decided to use. Like, none of this makes any sense. And I wonder if the design of this space, does it feel, like, appropriately comic booky for the movie we're getting? Or does it feel maybe a little too comic booky? Like, where where do you all land on that? That was my thought, that this is this is, like, an exceptionally comic booky production design choice. And uh, it's coming off of the movie we just had, even with flying Leviathan sea cows, it, it's it's a little bit much. I mean, I feel like the designer maybe read the Infinity Gauntlet comic, saw the throne floaty island thing that Thanos has in the comic and said, well, we're not going to make it look exactly like that, but 
let me do a riff on that and just come up with something equally outlandish. Because <laughs> yeah. it just really it doesn't make much sense. The the other thing I was thinking about is that maybe they actually did this first. Maybe the, the des- before they designed the rest of the movie, they thought, this is the movie we're going to make. And and it stuck. And all the other choices got wop- wipe- wiped away in a flood or something. I don't know. I guess in the scope of what we're crafting here, this is, I think there's a, a challenging line in the world of, of comic book storytelling um, where there is a level of fantasy that you kind of get to play around with. And then there's a level of fantasy that once you put something in celluloid and you have real people in it, it, it kind of starts uh, kind of breaking things a little bit because we know enough about space. So when we see somebody in space, we're like, Hmm, I don't know if they could actually breathe. They would be frozen. Like there's a lot of things that really just don't play. And, uh, you know, we, we talked about this aplenty with the Chitari and the Leviathans as they were all kind of hanging out in space before they came through the big space hole. But, uh, yeah, like the sanctuary here is like the other, like, is, are they in a bubble? Is there something that's kind of keeping them here? How is this? Is it just like Asgard where you can kind of see space, but this is kind of like Heimdall's observatory where you've got space around you, but there's enough here where we can survive like it just it suddenly it starts kind of turning into something where i i scratch my head a lot and it just feels like super super comic booky like to the point where the past five films barring thor which i know kind of introduced us to all of this stuff but i felt like we were in a realm where i could kind of buy into kind of some of the science fictiony superhero stuff and then suddenly i'm like oh well this is clearly not that world we're just in the comics now I think I would almost even say that this specific sanctuary is not even science fiction. It's fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's nothing about this that, that would work. Cause, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, it's comic space. That we're yeah, in right. space, but comic space. Yeah. Like, where's the gravity? Like you said, where's the oxygen? It's just, and, you know, there's nothing practical about it. It's not really, it's just, it's a bunch of rocks floating around. I mean, other than the big throne rock. There's nothing really to do. Like, there's no. Yeah. <laughs> there's. I mean, I don't know what you know. Thanos is sitting there and like not sure what he's doing all day. That's my other question. <laughs> I'm like, is this just like his? his like when he needs a, a a break from like all the insanity. Like, the, is this like his thinking spot? He it comes is, it's out his here lanai. and just sits. <laughs> 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 it's just I, I was just like this is just like what a weird place to hang out i mean i certainly hope he doesn't live here uh that would be really depressing if this was like his home no wonder he's trying to <laughs> take over the universe because like this is all he had it's Sheesh. the worst <laughs> oh my gosh well we are getting into the the meat of this we do have the other as we kind of continue uh moving in toward this uh this top of the staircase we do see the other kneeling down um, behind this throne, which we can kind of start getting a better view of now. And it's kind of lit up from the back. It's an interesting little throne. And the other says this. He says, Humans, they are not the cowering wretches we were promised. They stand. They are unruly and therefore cannot be ruled. To challenge them is to court death. And just an asterisk note, interestingly, in the script, death has a capital D. Just to certainly something we oh, can talk about here. Like they're going to date death. Well, he's going to actually go court death. Yeah. Death is is a character in the comics that uh, Thanos uh is involved in with the whole thing. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Before we get into Thanos, what do you think of what the other has to say here? 
Oh, I got a couple of comments. I got. I mean, first of all, <laughs> they are not the cowering wretches we were promised. So, presumably, Loki is the one that promised them that. Yeah, that was my thinking. And so, my question is, since Loki is the god of lies, of course, was Loki genuinely surprised by the resistance he faced in this movie? Because he really genuinely thought, oh, I've been having fun with humanity for 2,000 years. These guys are nothing. This will be easy. Or did he just lie, figuring, eh, I'll, I, I'll, I'll tell them humans are, are nothing, and I'll be, I'll, I'll be able to get away with it, to, to get what he wants from Thanos? My thinking was the former, because I, I, I felt like Loki legitimately thought he was going to win. Like, I, I think the fact that the Avengers showed up to destroy all of his plans, I think, made it that uh, made it a very difficult proposition. But I think initially he really did think that I can make this work. I can I can, you know, take over all these people and rule this planet. I think that's a safe assumption for me, too, that that he is written as if we are to take his his sort of motivation as authentic, even though I'm I'm just I'm not sure that the movie, uh, you know, makes makes the case clearly enough because by the time we get to this line i i just and and obviously with the gift of hindsight it, it is what it is the other going to thanos and telling thanos that he failed or that the, their efforts on earth failed seems like a risky proposition like personally for the other like doesn't it feel like what like that the the line is written in a way that makes him more of a a whelp than like he's purposefully making blaming it on loki yeah yeah, yeah and passing uh, the buck passing the buck yeah i'm glad you brought that up because you know the thing to challenge them is to court death it's like i know they lost this big battle but it seems a bit hyperbolic yes like the others kind of giving up very easily you yes know? right and and we find out years later ebony moss says in infinity war you know i've never failed thanos if i did there would be judgment and the other doesn't seem particularly concerned as the guy who was assigned this particular project for about judgment now obviously you know ebony maw and you know infinity war had been yet etc cetera, etc cetera. but right. just like looking for in universe wise He's definitely kind of like, oh, oh, well, we tried. Sorry, dude. Um, what do you want next, boss? Because this isn't going to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm, I'm bowing to show my subservience. But what I'm really telling you is I'd like to be reassigned. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. And the whole cowering wretches thing, like, I don't know, there's something in the wording that he throws at Thanos that he really seems to be pushing that the humans like it's interesting that it's not even brought up and maybe because loki doesn't really bring it up the fact that there were these superheroes that were fighting like i don't in all the conversations that loki had with the other it was largely and even in the the uh, deleted scenes it was largely like the human resistance and don't worry i can stop them there there there's a little more resistance than i thought but i will take them like he never brings up the avengers and so it's interesting like the perspective that the other seems to have is that wow those humans uh they they beat loki and uh yeah, they're a tough little bunch and i think some of that did come from the way that loki pitched it but i think yeah there's definitely this this whole side of him like really kind of just uh selling uh, uh loki down the river 
Okay, two two things, because I think you just unlocked uh, the sort of meta frustration that I have with that line, which is he doesn't mention the Avengers. And isn't this one of those cardinal sort of narrative sins that frustrates me so much in in like the sort of melodrama thriller? Like when you have a character who knows everything that happened and does not tell everything that happened <laughs> and, and relay the actual truth of the thing, not saying that the humans, you know, Kind of, we had it okay with the humans. Like, we did a lot of horrible stuff to the citizens of New York. It was these six others that gave us trouble. Six others that, that represent the humans. That That is super frustrating. But the other thing that I, I'm puzzled about is, from where Thanos sits, do you think Thanos is not aware of what happened on Earth? Like, do we have any reason to believe that he really is totally disconnected with with all the forces that they just sent down to Earth? He said his, he does back to it the whole time. <laughs> the lanai was not oriented appropriately. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sir, I mean, look, if he would that you if, had only turned around. <laughs> If the other is considered part of the family, like Ebony Maw and all the others we see in the later movies, for all we know, different members of the Black Order are all over the galaxy right now doing various different things. And this is just, you know, one of 17 uh, projects Thanos is currently overseeing. You know, he's got to he's got to assign the stuff out. He can't be worried with uh, the details. You know, he's the he's the he's the he's the director and he's got to trust his deputy directors are going to just take care of the stuff he assigns. them. Yeah. Yeah, he's like Captain Marvel. He's like, there's there's a lot of things going on all over the place that I'm trying to deal with. That's one thing, and I'm focused on all these other ones. Look, I have to wear this plot armor. Excuse me while I head <laughs> off to another planet. <laughs> I just I, something that you said, Pete, made me laugh because you were talking about the other and how you know he, he was talking about these other humans, and I'm like, is it going to confuse people if he says, well, there were these others? <laughs> But isn't that you? No, 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 I'm the other. No, I'm the other. They were were others. (laughs) Plurals, man. What a weird name. Mr. Other to you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The other thing, yeah, like this line is just, I don't know. They are unruly and therefore cannot be ruled. I, that line screams I, to me as like you're just not trying hard enough, man. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Like uh, maybe he's banking on the fact that Thanos hasn't been paying attention, and maybe he's not even paying attention to what he's saying here. Right, so he's just right. kind of like spitballing until Thanos turns around and actually gives him some attention. <laughs> <laughs> Court death, and also guacamole is good, and we had some <laughs> on the thing, but yeah, uh, it's bad yeah. news. But yes, it is to challenge them is to court death. That is the line that maybe it's the mention of death. I don't know. But that is what gets uh, Thanos to turn. And we finally get to see who man number one is. Good old uh, credits of man number one. Before we get into Thanos, Damien Poitier gets to play him in this minor, minor role. Unfortunately, it was completely CG'd over. doesn't get any lines and really was just here for motion capture. And then, of course, was completely replaced once uh, Thanos became a more prominent character in later films. But Damien Poitier, uh, African-American actor who does a lot of stunt work and parts like this where he's kind of like, uh, you know, replaced with CG. Do either of you have any familiarity with Damien Poitier and what other uh, what films might be on his known for? 
You're not going to make us do the. I, th- I thought you were leading into the IMDb game. That's what we're doing. Why did you oh, do uh, that? You totally jinxed us. He <laughs> might have <Why>? forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I w- as soon as he started saying the name Damien, I was like, oh, I know what he's doing. He's yeah. up. Right. My guess he can't is, be trusted. Uh, that he's most known, and I'm basing this on no knowledge except for he's got a familiar last name. Is he Sydney's son? Uh, he is. Uh, well, interesting about that. He actually says that he uh, does not know. He might be. It, he, <laughs> he, it might be related. <laughs> not not his son, but might be related in uh, distantly. Like they're from the same <laughs> island, I guess. Okay. I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is not the answer that I thought that he might be. <laughs> Genealogists love that answer too. Like maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Pete, do you have any guesses for us known for? I'm gonna lean uh, hard on the Avengers. <laughs> You're right. That is oh, one of his known for. Are they all uh, movies, or is there a television in there? There's a video game and three movies. Okay, did not see video game coming. I officially am out of, <laughs> I will not okay. get 100%. I will tell you, uh, the first one, Captain America Civil War, in which he plays Hero Merc number one, probably a utility stunt player there. Uh, the second one is the video game Payday 2. I'm unfamiliar with the Payday game franchise, but he's in the second one. He plays, hmm. play, does the voice of Chains. Are either of you uh, players of Payday? No, not here. Uh, I, I, I think when I was a kid in the eighties, I think there was a board game called payday that I played. (laughs) (laughs) Payday is, uh, let's see. Uh, it is Dallas, Dallas, Hoxton, Wolf and Chains are back as they descend in Washington into Washington, DC for an epic crime spree. So it's a crime, crime game. Um, the third one is Jarhead in which he plays a character Poitier. So look at that. Um, named after Jarhead. That was the Gyllenhaal. That was the Gyllenhaal. Yep. That was a good movie. Last but not least, the Avengers. So that is Damien Poitier. Um, let's talk Thanos. Our first appearance of the Big Purple Man here in this film. Uh, Eric, this was uh, one of the specific reasons you picked this minute. Um, yeah, what what is it about this that uh, do you, do you like the way that this that Thanos appears here? What do what do you what it's the Thanos out? hand model, right? That's what you liked so much you thought was so authentic? <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, do you want to, should we talk about the hand first or the reason why I picked this minute first? Because the two major topics. Yes, no, reason why you picked the minute first. Let's go in. in okay, in so the reason order. why I picked the minute first is um, this scene meant that the Avengers was not, uh, pardon the pun, was not the end game of Marvel's movies plans. Clearly, we, this was just the beginning. And then we are not only are we not done, Marvel's not even close to done. Yeah, some might say it's an infinity war that we're living. <laughs> Especially you two with this podcast. <laughs> it's certainly what they say doing. about this podcast, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it meant we were almost certainly getting some kind of infinity gauntlet adaptation. It meant we were certainly getting... It meant that the Marvel movies were not going to be just Earth-based. Um, Thanos is one of the best villains from the comic books, so we know that he's going to come into play. But again, it just... It meant this... What Marvel has planned, you don't even you're not even ready for what Marvel has planned because you, we just we thought we were just building up to this one movie, The Avengers, and seeing could go. Oh no 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 no, we are going to do so much with this. You guys are going to see all those comics we've been reading for decades now turned into movies. That's to me the promise of what this scene means. And then just throw in, you know, like I said, Thanos is he's one of the best villains from the comic books. When he turns and and you see who he is. 
half the people in the theater, I, I was there on, on opening night, half of the theater went, oh, Thanos, oh, you know, I was excited. The other half, who obviously were not comic book readers, like my wife, were like, huh, what, you know, what is this? Who is this? <laughs> I had to be, I had to explain to them. And so that's, that's why, and, and, and the promise paid off. You know, we got Infinity War and Endgame out of this end credit scene, you know, and it, it, I mean, how many end credit scenes really pay off that well? You know? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I think, yeah, and you're really, I mean, you, you said it, like the idea that this, you know, less than one minute reveal, uh, actually was, was a promise, not just of Thanos and, and, and stuff in between, but that there was no way they were going to be able to do it in just one more movie. Like this was like, given what they did with, you know, all the movies leading up to it, it, it just really paved the way for, didn't know what it was going to be, but it was a lot, and I think I was I was equally excited by that the promise, as you say, of all the movies to come. Do you feel like as uh, over the course of this film, you know, any time that Loki and the other were talking, and they kind of hinted like the other person that you know we're not going to talk about who's in this room? Did you have? Can you remember at the time? Like, did you think? Oh, I wonder if it, could it be Thanos? Like, did you have any inkling, or was it a complete surprise when Thanos popped up here? Uh, it was a surprise. I really, honestly, I, I hadn't. I don't think I. I don't remember paying attention to real. I mean. Clearly, there was some other person that was there or being talked about, but honestly, I wasn't really spending time trying to figure it out. I think I was just kind of, you know, I'm along for the ride. I'm enjoying the fact that I'm watching an Avengers movie, and I wasn't, I don't really rem- remember thinking like, hmm, I wonder who it could be, you know? So I, I was legitimately surprised, which is why I said out loud, oh, Thanos. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right. It's, I mean, it is a fantastic reveal. It is funny now to kind of go back to this and look at exactly how he looks because it's like, well, they clearly spent a little more time kind of developing this character from 2012 until we finally really got him in some of the later films. Like, I mean, he's shaded enough where you can't, it, it, you can't quite tell, but there's definitely kind of this real kind of like cartoony CG quality to him at this point. At least his face. Yeah. But then there's the hand. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to say about those hands. I remember the internet going nuts in debate about those hands when this movie came out. That some people insisted, yes, it is purple. Um, (laughs) Some people like me insisted, no, it absolutely is not. It is clearly not a purple hand. I just, even putting aside whatever the color of the hand is, I don't even know why, why bother showing it. Like just like just have the other cowering there, and then just show this mysterious figure stand up like they already do anyway, and then turn around. I don't know what even showing the hand does for the movie, regardless of what color his hand is. I guess I can see like if they just cut from the throne to suddenly the figure standing. I guess I could see them saying, you know, we really need something else in there, and 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 deciding we need to capture just one last shot of this hand kind of doing this, but. The problem is, every time I see it, I feel like it was done, either they they forgot one shot that they were going to CG, oh yeah, we forgot to put the purple hand over the hand, or they did it so last minute because it was just like, you know, it's, it just doesn't feel right. All right, let's just get this shot. We're just going to have to light it in a way where it's dark enough, where it's kind of hard to tell, and just go with it. And that's, I think, what they did. And it's just, I, I I'm like you, I like, I wish that I could have seen the version that didn't have the hand because it just never it always looks like 
I don't know, some white guy's hand who suddenly like, who's this other white person who's just up on, <laughs> up, up here with these two people? Because like, it just doesn't seem like either of these two. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, you could just close your eyes there. That'll give you, I, I, I just fixed it for you. Just close your eyes for two seconds, right? <laughs> after you see the other. The other thing that I think we should at least acknowledge is perhaps this was intentional character design and that at this point in Thanos's arc, they legitimately thought his skin would be a gradient. Oh. Well, and at the hand, weird... he's still white, but his head is purple. That's the only <laughs> thing I can imagine. What a weird, yeah. <laughs> yes, no prize, I guess. That's a that's a that's a weak no prize though. I'll take it. There is that's a weak no prize. That's a new low. God. <laughs> I'm amazed that anybody thinks that that's purple. Like those yeah, people who saw that on the internet must have had a bad print when they went to the theater. I guess so. I just I, I mean, there were there were just typical internet arguments of people calling each other morons and blind and, and, and idiots over the color of Thanos' hand. I remember that. I mean, but that being said, it is exciting to see. And I do like that we kind of get this uh, this image here. You know, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Is there um, any anything comic book related? I, I haven't read all of the comics with Thanos, but like the fact that when he stands in the distance, there's like a moon that is like blown to pieces back there. Maybe a planet. I don't know. Moon or a planet. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, maybe, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know, like, I'm not a hundred percent versed in Thanos's whole comic book history. Um, yeah, but I mean, he certainly has caused a lot of death and destruction in the comics, much like he has in the movies. Um, but I, I can't think of anything specific though. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's one of those things, but it is, it's something that I definitely noticed because they rack focus from that to him, um, as we kind of are looking at. Uh, at him and so that's why i didn't know if this was um uh, you know had been his home world or something that he had destroyed who knows i mean i know he um we see some of his destruction of titan um but i i don't know it's just one of those things that it does make me wonder like i mean he clearly has the ability uh, at some point to like be doing some serious work with uh, things and like uh, pulling planets apart and everything. So, yeah. Although he doesn't have any of the, I mean, he doesn't have any of the stones yet. Yeah. So. Right, right, right. Yeah. But that's pretty much it. He kind of turns to us, doesn't have any lines. He just kind of turns and uh, gives us a grin and that's uh, the end of this. And then we end with sound garden. The, uh, the music kicks in for um, live to rise and uh, we come to the end of this this fantastic minute. Uh, do we want to talk about Soundgarden? I feel like we get to talk about that for a lot of minutes after this. Oh, just I just want everybody to know that in the coming minutes, you'll hear how much Andy loves Soundgarden. <laughs> <laughs> did they, it's did, a real treat. It's just, it's, did they? I feel like Soundgarden is one of those bands that ended up with songs in a lot of. Uh, end credits of movies and maybe that's completely incorrect but it just <laughs> my brain says that Soundgarden is a band who is just an end credits band. Should, we, uh, should we have a judges ruling eric are you a Soundgarden fan no in fact it ties into my Soundgarden story oh um, yes your Soundgarden outstanding story outstanding segue when i was in high school back in the early 90s some friends and i saw guns and roses in the tour they did when their user their use the use your illusion albums came out mm-hmm and as we were driving down to the arena, someone said, oh, who's the opening act? 
reference and oh some group called Soundgarden. So you know this was no one did this was before they had hit it big. They had like their first album is out. No one knew who they were anything like that. And when I was like, oh, I think I've heard of them. I'd never heard of them before. Uh, and clearly, most of the arena had not heard of them before because they came out and opened up, and the crowd just wasn't. We just weren't having it. And the, by the end, we were kind of booing them practically when they left the stage. <laughs> I uh, I like one song by Soundgarden. Otherwise, I think the rest of this just uh, yeah, not a not a Soundgarden guy. Is the let's uh, yeah, let's see if it's the same song. What's your one song that you like? I mean, it's 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 pretty. I mean, it's the obvious answer: Black Hole Sun. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's not Live to Rise. If if you had said no, it's Live to Rise. No. I watch these end credits all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've watched these credits so many times. I actually forgot that Soundgarden did Black Hole Sun. Like I thought they only had one song. <laughs> it was this. Um uh, I do see that they do appear at least on one other soundtrack, and it is of course because they also appeared in the movie and that was uh singles. I forgot that. Oh they, right, of they, course. In sure. that film, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was one of those films that I, I forget that they really kind of uh you know featured it definitely feels like it's kind of capturing that Seattle early nineties vibe with that with that movie, yeah. Yeah. Huh, interesting. They never got, I guess, as Gen Xers, really, Soundgarden should be our totem band. <laughs> that's, that's our anthem. They should have been, yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting that they didn't. They were not. They did not become they that Maybe they should have been, except for the fact that they suck. There, I'll throw down <laughs> oh! the ball. All right, there you go. Oh, right here. We're getting the opening riffs, and we already are out the line. <laughs> they suck. There it is. Sorry, Soundgarden. <laughs> All right. Uh, any last thoughts about the movie or this minute or uh, kind of where we go from here? Uh, yes. In fact, I much, uh, it's funny that Pete, uh, and, uh, discussed the no prize that Andy, you said it's a very horrible no prize because <laughs> I think I have a really lame no prize myself as well here. Nice. So the whole thing about courting death and he smiles. And as you mentioned earlier in the minute, death with a capital D in the script. And of course it's because in the comics, Thanos is a nihilist who literally is in love with and obsessed with death capital D, not just the concept of death, but the woman that physically embodies death in the Marvel Comics universe. Obviously, you know, it seems that when this scene was filmed, the reason he's smiling is because they were basing that on what Thanos from the comics is. Someone in, oh, really? Courting death? Okay, that's my, that's what I'm into. They obviously then changed that by the time they came around with motivations for Infinity War and Endgame and quote-unquote capital D death isn't an issue for that anymore. It's, it's this whole balance in the universe thing. So I figured we have to retroactively come up with some kind of a no prize why he is smiling, since they based that on comic Thanos, and it's not doesn't fit in with movie Thanos. And I thought about how the trailer for Infinity War has a line that Thanos says that doesn't end up in the movie, when he says, fun isn't something one considers when balancing the universe, but this does put a smile on my face. Um, and it's interesting that that was in the trailer, but they pulled it out of the movie because it's almost like it ties into the fact that he's smiling here. But then, and, and I know that people put to, that put together trailers aren't necessarily people that know exactly what direction, uh, final direction a movie is going in. Right. So here is the really lame, no prize idea i'm coming up with for why thanos smiles here that this is still early on the other doesn't know thanos's full plan let's tie it into how he's like one of 17 deputy directors maybe maybe okay. they, 
Thanos works in silos and compartmentalizes, and so the other only is responsible for his area and never has a meeting with the other 16 deputy directors. So he doesn't know the whole plan. Thanos is smiling because, ah, okay, now it's time to start the plan, and we're going to have the big corporate meeting where everyone's going to come together, and I'm going to tell everyone, here's what we've actually all been working for. And he's so excited about finally putting step one of his big plan into action. And that's why he's so happy. That was an amazing walk around the block <laughs> to get there. And, and you can tell that I work I, uh, as a standard <laughs> procedures writer with that explanation. I feel like if we had special credits after this episode, you would be the first post-credit sequence <laughs> with that story. <laughs> You'd be the special thanks in our list of thanks. <laughs> special thanks. That was awesome. It's, I mean, yeah, it's, it is one of those funny things that a, a, like when you think about it in context of like where they were going, but yeah, it's like, what an interesting, I mean, talk about really stretching into the world of fantasy, like to have the embodiment of death as a character in the films. Like they are really going to like it. There's, they are completely comic book at that point. There's just nothing that feels remotely science fiction at that point at all once you get to that. And that was, I don't know, I always felt like that was a good move on their part to kind of not include death as they uh, as they kind of continued the story because it really just feels so, so, so different. Yeah, I remember a rumor uh, before Infinity War came out that um, Hela was actually not going to be dead at the end of Ragnarok and that she was going to take the place of the role death played in the comics and that she was going to be infinity war since she's the goddess of death in uh, the Norse myths. Uh, I remember that rumor gaining some steam for a while that that was going to be like, how they were going to handle it. Ah, uh, Internet rumors. Aren't they fun? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder though, there is like a non zero chance that this is the longest of the long cons that Feige has been playing and that like after Kang it's death and it all started right here. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> That'll be what, phase 10? You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, phase 10. Oh my gosh. Wow. Well, uh, this has been fantastic chatting with you about this minute, Eric. Thank you again so much for joining us today and over many minutes over the course of the season. We really appreciate it. Always happy. Thank you very much for having me. Tell everybody again one last time about those podcasts you have, where you are, what's, uh, what's active, what you can still download, all that good stuff. So uh, as we record this, um, uh, the active podcast that I'm on that is still in the middle of uh, posting its episodes is um, it's a podcast called It's Time to Rewind, which is a, a pod- an ongoing podcast by a podcaster who calls himself Bubba Weed. And uh, he's doing a season on the movie Memento called Memento More. I'm his co-host for the color scenes of that movie. So that is still uh, maybe about two thirds of the way done or so. Uh, and then the two podcasts that I was the co-host of that are complete, so you can binge listen to all of them were Flash Gordon Minute and Escape from New York Minute. Those are great road trip podcasts. It's like you're getting in the car, you're going to drive across like Texas, download and listen to me and Andy on Escape from New York, especially because <laughs> Escape from New York was awesome. That's fantastic. There you go. That's Lots right. Lots of fun. Lots of fun. And they're both, and you're both on the Memento podcast as well that's true yeah that's true although we didn't get to do that any of that with you we were in the black and white that's right you did black and white minutes including i believe the shortest episode right well the shortest (laughs) the shortest shortest clip scene shortest clip i meant yeah Yeah. shortest clip i meant yeah yeah i I think we were able to make hay of that one too i think (laughs) holy cow yes 
Uh, well, uh, it has been fun. We'll have links for all those in the show notes. Everybody check those out. If you don't see them in your podcatcher, just go to marvelmovieminute.com and you can find everything there. That is it. Uh, we'll be back uh, with Tommy Handsome to talk about more credits uh, tomorrow in minute 137. Should be fun. So, Pete, thanks as always. You're, that's the wrong setup, Andy, because you forget that tomorrow we're going to talk about fractional credit math. Very hot. It's very hot. And I can't wait to do it. It's going to be fun. I cannot wait. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.